0: We're in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. Um, you, you won't believe what someone told me after the first service. He said to me, I have, please forgive me if this sounds uh, wrong to say to you. He says, I've, I've never enjoyed a study of a book in my life. He said, I come from a, he told me where he came from, a different church. And he says, i never really studied the Bible like this before. And he says, can you do me a favor? And I says, well, I'll try, whatever it is. And he says, can you do it one more time again? <laughs> and I said, the church will hang me. They will, they will literally lynch me if I started to teach this again. Um, but I just thought it was so precious of him that he just, just, it, just was, um, it was just so special to him to go through this book. And I hope and pray in some way it has been for you as well. I can only tell you from my point of view it has been amazing. I have, um, I have been tossed and turned in, in so many different ways as we've studied through this book. But for the most part, it has been, it has been the most incredible blessing that I have ever, ever experienced. I, I grant you, uh, I did this study before, um, oh man, 15, 20 years ago, I'm not sure the date on it. But when we went through it before, I remember going through it, but I do not remember being so long, it seems like, in, in the books that, that were so uh, horrendous in their judgment. And I, I want to conde- uh, I wanna congratulate you. I want to thank you for being a, a part of this study and, and watching God's hand at work. And now we've come to his return. And this is, this is one of the most glorious places you and I will ever, ever read of in Scripture. And we will be a part of this journey from heaven itself to earth to judge mankind for sin. And we will watch the Lord do what he will do. Will you read with me so that we can kind of get a sense of what's going to take place in our lives somewhere in the future. And I will be, I will be quick to tell you that the way time goes... It won't be that far. I mean, I'm not saying it won't be that far as far as length goes. It just won't be that far as far as before you know it will be there. It just seems that time just goes. In verse 11 of chapter 19, John makes this startling statement. He says, I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse And he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and he wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. Upon his head are many diadems. He has a name that is written upon him which no one knows except himself. Verse 13 says, He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he might smite the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. Verse 16, one of the great verses. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In verse 17, John says, I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the commanders, the flesh of the mighty man and the flesh of the horses and those who sit on them. The flesh of all men, both free and slave, small and great. And then John says in verse 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstones. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Kind of a, kind of a grave sight, would you not admit. It, it's amazing to, to, to see that the Lord would have an, an angel standing in the sun, as it were, assembling all the birds that are flying in mid-heaven, saying, come, there's going to be a supper of God. You're going to eat of the flesh of the commanders, the kings, the chiefs, everyone from, from, from free to slave, from, from great to small. You will fill yourself on these people. And as you can see, when we read, there isn't a, a big description of how the battle was fought, nor how it was won. It just is an overwhelming victory for the Lord. What really we, we need to see is the wonders of, of knowing him during this process. And that's what the center, this message will be centered upon today. Would you pray with me please as we kind of prepare our hearts for this. And thank you so much for being here. Every single one of you. Love you very, very much. Father in heaven, we ask that you will bless the words that we've just read out of your word. The word that, that is called by the very name of the one who is on that white horse, the one who is faithful, the one who is true, the one who is called the Word of God, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, may we understand who he is so that we, not, we might not walk out of here with, with, with one doubt within our hearts nor within our minds of, of whom we belong to. Trust, Father, that you will bless us. Move me aside so that we might hear from your heart, not mine. I pray you will bless this time. Bless it, Father, immeasurably, please. I pray this in the most precious and most wonderful name of names, the one that Anthony had us sing about today in worship. The name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, I mean, who can even imagine we'll be there? We'll be able to see it. But all of a sudden, in verse 11, John says, I saw the heavens opened up. And out of heaven comes this white stallion, this white horse with a rider on its back. And the rider, it says, is called faithful and true in verse 11. This passage tells of the very final battle of battles. It's the battle called the the Battle of Armageddon, where the beast... And the false prophet would be cast into hell, as it says in verse 20. They will be thrown, at the end of verse 20, alive, it says, alive into the lake of fire that burns with the brimstone. And so Jesus comes riding out, it says, to judge and to wage war. Now the last time you and I, anyone, saw Jesus Christ riding an animal was in Jerusalem. He was riding a borrowed donkey, Riding into Jerusalem, going to the cross and to his death. His death for mankind. His death for the sin of this world. Our sins. But here, in the 19th chapter, he is riding this time not on a donkey, but on a white horse. And this time he is riding to death, all right, but not his death. He's riding to death to those who refuse to trust and believe in who he is. That's why we beg of you to come to know him now. Trust in him now. Immediately we see exactly who it is. He is called in verse 11 two things, faithful and true. The very essence of his character. It clarifies exactly who it is on this white horse. Now we we already studied in chapter 1 and verse 5 that it is Jesus Christ who is called the faithful witness. And then it describes him. He is the firstborn of the dead. It says in in Revelation 1 verse 5. He is the ruler of the kings of this earth. He is the one who loves us. And he is the one who has released us from our sin through his blood. So we know that the faithful witness is none other than Jesus Christ. But also his name is true. That describes his character as well. Because he is true and he is faithful, you and I can be confident that he is genuine. Therefore, we can, we can, we can rely upon his credibility. What he says will take place. He is faithful and he is true. One of the great verses in all of Scripture. I want you to turn to, if you don't mind, please with me. Hold your place here in the 19th chapter. Turn to the left to 1 John. It's just about well, I don't know, just a few pages to the left of the book of Revelation. 1 John. There's a Third John. There's a Second John. 1 John, chapter 5, verse 20. Let me give you a little, uh, a little background to this one single verse. It is perhaps one of the most penetrating verses in all of Scripture. It is, in and of itself, the very essence of who is Jesus Christ. So many years ago, I am, I'm thinking 20, maybe 25 years ago, when, when, when Mormon missionaries would come to your, your doors, when they used to come to my door, I'd always turn them to 1 John 5.20. 1 John 5.20, in its structure in the Greek, can only be read one way. So when, when anyone would come to my door and argue the fact that whether Jesus Christ is God, a very God, I would turn them to 1 John 5, 20. A sidebar to this is one of my pastor friends, I won't tell you his name, one of my really strong pastor friends who understands Greek thoroughly had a very dear, dear friend who was high, high up in the Mormon church who also understood Greek thoroughly. They studied this particular verse and the Mormon friend looked at my friend who was this pastor, both of them Greek- Experts and he the Mormon looked at him and said, "If that verse is true, then everything I believe is wrong. Well, a sidebar to that is if if you uh, have Mormons that come to your door and you turn them to first john five twenty now you 'll find that that verse has been altered in their their new translations. They print their own Bibles and they completely change first john five twenty The sad part is they've changed 1 John 5.20 to fit their theology rather than changing their theology to fit 1 John 5.20. God forbid we would ever do that. Now let me read to you and let me explain to you 1 John 5.20. It is the verse of verses within Scripture. Because the one who is called true is identified here. It says in 1 John 5.20, we know that God... The Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is what? True. We are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. The next word, this, must refer back to the last noun that was mentioned. When it says this, it must go back to Jesus Christ. It cannot go anywhere else. So when it says, this is the true God and eternal life, it is speaking of Jesus Christ, and it cannot be, it is impossible to translate 1 John 5.20 any other way. And so what it does when it says that this is He who is true, we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ, this, or He, is the true God and eternal life. And that's why this one... Scholar in Greek said to my friend, if this is true, then everything I believed in my Mormon faith has been flipped upside down. Folks, if anyone doubts that Scripture ever claimed that Jesus Christ is God, please doubt no more. The structure of the sentence in 1 John 5.20, in the Greek, the word this can only refer back to Jesus Christ. It must and so this verse can read no other way, "The one who is true, faithful and true. He is the true God and eternal life. You can rest your soul upon that truth. The verse cannot mean anyone else or anything else but Jesus. Now let's go back to John I mean, excuse me, to Revelation chapter 19. So the one who rides on this white horse is identified. He is faithful. And he is true. He is Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is God of very God. He is the true God in eternal life. And so it says in verse 11, he comes to judge in righteousness, which means there can be no charge of injustice when he comes to judge and wage war. Reason being is, we've learned in chapter 14, verses 15, 16, 17, and 18, you remember well, it said the people were ripe. If you remember, it says, reap reap the people, put down the sheaf because the people are ripe. And the word ripe meant rotten, or of no use, of no value. And we saw over and over again, during the time when there was judgment on earth, the people who were left raised their fists before God and blasphemed His name because of their pain. Rather than repent, they rebelled. And so the Bible says these people were ripe, they were rotten, they were of no value. God's patience was finally over with them. For you and me today... 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 ought to shout into your heart of hearts. It says, The Lord, He's not slow about His promise, as some might count slowness, but He is patient. He is patient towards you and me. He doesn't want for any of us to perish, but for every single one of us to come to repentance. And so I ask, As we go through this, have you come to repentance yet? He is waiting patiently for you. Now we see more about him in verses 12 and 13. We see that his eyes are a flame of fire. We see that on his head he has many diadems. We see that he has a name that is written on him, which no one knows except for himself. In verse 13, we see that he's clothed in a robe that is dipped in blood. And we see that his name is called the Word of God. Talk about his eyes first. We've already studied that in chapters 1 and 2. His eyes are a flame of fire. Short, In short, that, that means that he sees everything. Nothing can escape his judgment. Nothing can escape his sight. Nothing can escape his knowledge. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says it clearly. There is no... Creature that is hidden from his sight. Everything is open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom you and I have to deal with. He sees all. The many diadems on his head only speaks, of course, to his ultimate authority. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 listen to these amazing words about our Savior, about his authority. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20, 21, and 22. Listen, talking about God first. God brought about in Christ, in his Son, when he raised him, his Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead, and then seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And what did he do with his Son? It says in verse 21, He sat him far above all rule and all authority and all power and all dominion, he said, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the ages that are to come. In other words, there is nobody going to be greater than him. And then verse 22 says that God put all things, all things in subjection under his feet. Gave him, Jesus Christ, as head over all things to the church. Ultimate authority is his. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority over humans, over angelic beings, over demonic forces, whether they be in heaven or on earth, everywhere and anywhere. And then we are told in in verse 12, about the last part of verse 12, that that he has a name that nobody knows except for himself. And, And, you know, there's going to be things about God that you and I will never know. After all, he is God. But he does have a name that we recognize. In verse 13... His name is the Word of God. That's why, church, that we love our Bibles here so much. That is why we study this. This is the very essence of who Jesus Christ is. This is everything about Him, the Word of God. In the beginning, John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. Verse 14 says, And the Word who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us, so that we beheld his glory, glory full of grace, full of truth. And so we understand his name. His name is the word of God. And to to further his identity, he is clothed with a robe, it says in verse 13, that is dipped in blood. This blood is, is not the blood that he shed upon the cross. No, no, no. This blood is the blood of judgment, the blood that comes from those who, who were shed because of, because of their sin. And so we come with him in verse 14. If you can imagine, out of heaven itself, we, the believers who are raptured into heaven, come riding, following Him on white horses. And we know it's us because of what we are wearing. We are clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And we know that, that that's us, because Back in this same chapter, in verse 8, it says it was given to her, talking about the bride who was going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, us. It was given to us to clothe ourselves with fine linen, bright and clean. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And so we come riding with him, armies behind him, so to speak. And then we see three actions of our Lord's in Verse 15. We see out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. Well, from Ephesians, the 6th chapter, the 17th verse, we learned that the sword that comes out of his mouth is the Word of God. So he judges people by his Word, the Word of God. And he smites, it says in verse 15. He rules, it says in verse 15. And he treads, it says in verse 15. He says it treads with Or I should say, excuse me, he rules with a rod iron. I mean, a shepherd would use an iron, I mean, gosh, please forgive me. A shepherd would use a a, a rod that was of wood to help correct and guide the sheep. But here the rod is not wood, it's iron. That speaks of the strong judgment that that, that the Lord is going to bring law and order and destruction on this earth. It speaks to his complete authority. And then one of the great verses in all of Scripture, verse 16, On his robe and written on his thigh is the name, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is no longer a a Lamb of God. He is now the Lion. Lion of God. He is the one who yields power. He is God Almighty, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so you need to make a decision in your heart. I mean, who is Jesus Christ to you? Is he a prophet? Is he a rabbi teacher? Is he a good man? Is he a, a small G God or one of many gods? The decision is one that you and, and I, we all must make individually. We must make it. And the decision that we make is eternal. Eternal. To add to the drama of this chapter, we see in verse 17 an angel standing, as it were, in the sun itself, making a, a, crying out with a loud voice, saying, For all the birds that are flying in the mid heavens, come on, assemble here. There's going to be a great supper of God. Now, this is the second supper we've seen in chapter 19. In verse 9 above, we saw the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will sit down with the Lord and enjoy a, a wonderful meal. As his bride. But here, this is a this is a supper for the animal, the birds, I should say, of the sky, to eat on those who refuse to, to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. You see, the Bible's clear. It's clear. It's clear in your life, it's clear in my life. For those of us who claim the faith of Christianity. We know something for certain about ourselves. We know this. In Romans 3.23, it says that every single one of us have something in common. Every one of us. And that thing that we have in common is we're all sinners. We have all sinned, every single one of us. And we have not only sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23, it tells us what is the wages of our sin. The wages of sin is what? That's what it says. The wages of sin is death. But, same verse, but the free gift of God is eternal life in His Son, Jesus Christ. Who in the world would refuse that? If we've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, who in the world would want to refuse this free gift of God? which is the everlasting life in his Son, Jesus Christ. Verses 17 and 18 confirm that this, this, this has already taken place as far as it is concerned. In verse 18 it says to the, to the birds, that you might eat the flesh of kings and commanders and mighty men, horses, those who sat on the horses, whether they be free men, slaves, whether they be small, whether they be great. In other words, this slaughter is universal. And there is no one, no one who will escape. King, slave, great, small, everyone in between. There are a few words written here about the battle. It's, it's not really described. Simply put, it says in verse 20, that our Lord seizes the beast and the false prophet... And throws them alive, it says, alive, in verse 20, into the lake of fire. That they enter the lake of fire alive speaks to the horror of that place and its judgment. They are fully conscious of their pain and their separation from God. In verse 21, it says, the rest were killed with the sword. And they were eaten by the bird's Those people had an ample opportunity to come to Christ. They simply refused to believe. Where does that leave you and me? I want to close with this place. I want us to, to leave Revelation chapter 19 for now. We'll come back to the 20th chapter next week. Look with me at Matthew chapter 25. Please. It's to the left. It's, it's the very first book in the New Testament. I want you to see it for yourself. So I'm going to wait, if you have a Bible, to turn to Matthew chapter 25. You see, as it says, the Lord seized the beast and the false prophet and threw them alive into the lake of fire. I want you to know that that place, the lake of fire, hell, was never a place that was created for you and me, human beings. It was not. There is a place that was created for you and me, from the very foundation of the world. But hell was not that place. Here's proof. Maybe you've read this before. Maybe you've not looked at it. Look at Matthew chapter 25 and read with me verse 41. It says, Then he will say to those on his left terrible word. Depart. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire. Now watch, which has been prepared not for you, but for the devil and his angels. You want to see what has been prepared for you and me? Look up above at verse 34 of that same chapter. Chapter 25 of Matthew. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come. Different word. Not depart, but come. Come, you who are are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the very foundation of the world. The key words in Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 and 34 are just two. Depart and or come. Which is it? You see, the choice is always just yours and yours alone. You can come to this church or whatever church it is you desire to go to for the rest of your life and the person who preaches at you or the traditions of that church or anything of that church will not change you until you decide to change yourself. It is always an individual decision that you and I must make on our own. And you either depart or you come. You depart from me, says the Lord, or you come to me, says the Lord. Which is it? Which do you choose? Let me read to you something that our Lord says he has prepared for you and for me. It's in John chapter 14. You need not turn there. I just want you to listen. Jesus says to those that desire to follow him, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, said Jesus Christ. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. I'm going to do something today that I've done it at both the services, and that is to have an altar call. Now I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I don't. I don't do that. I, I'm not. I, I don't. I don't do that. But I want you to make a decision for Christ. Today is March the 11th, the year is 2012. Ironically, I said it in the first service, and someone came up to me and told me, oh, tomorrow's your spiritual birthday. I didn't even think about it. It is. I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior on March the 12th, 1973. I'll be 39 years old in the Lord tomorrow. Didn't even think about it until... Till Harley came up to me and gave me a hug and said, happy birthday. I said, no, it's not till February. He says, no, you dummy. <laughs> Your spiritual birthday. I said, how'd you know? He said, you just told us. It's tomorrow. I didn't, that's how duh I am. But with the lights dimmed, I want you to think about whether you know the Lord or not. Look, it's, it's, it's not a small thing I mean, you know, we make a deal of it as, as believers because, because the decision must be yours. I can't make it for you. If I could, I would. I promise you I would. I would. I can't. The only person I can affect is myself, and I did that on March the 12th in 1973. I asked Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And the reason that date is so important to me is because so many times I, I mess up and I, and I think, wow, if I'm a Christian, I sure am not living like it. And I, th- I remember back, yeah, I am a believer. I have asked Christ into my heart on March the 12th. That, to me, that is important. For some of you, you just know that you made a decision in your life and you cannot remember the day. That's fine. If you don't need the day, that's fine. For me, it's, it's critically important. I, I needed to know that. And today, being March the 11th, the year 2012, this is probably the best day in the whole wide world to come to Christ. It's 11.30 in the morning, March the 11th, 2012. Well, you can mark in your heart or in your book, like I wrote it down in my Bible, I've written it there so I know that I know when I came to Christ. Now, almost everybody here, I believe, are believers. You've been here often, and I know you. Maybe you've come here, and there's something in your life that needs to be dealt with. Maybe there's something that's kind of kept you down a little bit. Maybe it's today you came just to kind of dump some things on the Lord and leave them here. This would be a great time to do that. Just ask the Lord to forgive you and make you into the person that He has created you to be anyways. Some of you here, perhaps like myself, you've already confessed everything up. You're, you're in good shape. You ought to just take this time to thank the Lord that you're, you're doing all right. But the rest of you who have not, you don't have a date, you don't know that you've ever come to Christ, we want to give you that chance. Come to him. After the service, uh, I think some of the guys, Bill or... Fred, or some of us will be over here at this door. If you want to talk to any of us, we're welcome to do that. I won't necessarily call you forward to come and make that profession of your faith that you've accepted Christ, but we'd sure love to help you if you want, to, you want to talk to us about it. So we're going to close right now in prayer. and I'm going to kind of lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for those of us who know you. I want to thank you right now that some of us here right now are just saying, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That I have nothing more to say than just that. Thank you for who you are. For some of us here, Father, we want to say thank you that we know you, but forgive us, Father, we have sinned. And we ask you to forgive us. And others of us here this morning have want to say in our hearts that, Father, we don't know of a time when we've ever asked you into our heart, and so we were going to make it today. March the 11th, the year 2012, at 3, 1130 in, in the morning. Father, we want to thank you for this privilege of coming to trust in you at every level. Bless your word, bless our lives, bless the people of this church. Bless little Chloe Rose, Father, that little sweet girl, her mom and her dad. Bless us all, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all more than you'll ever, ever imagine. Thank you for being here. I'll see you next week. Have a great, great day. God bless you all.